0: Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Movie Madness. Today, much like dating, we're talking about film scoring. How can it be a competition? You know it's a competition because they call it scoring. With me today, I'm your host. Leave me alone. I'm your host, Henry Thompson. With me today is film composer Scott Ampleford. Say hi. Hello. And a double dose of Wayne's. Wayne Thompson and Wayne Madden, filmmaker, and journalist, respective. How are you doing, guys? Good. Thank you. Don't know yeah, what that what? whistle was about, but all right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Saying I'm good. I'm good. All right. Oh, that was you. Okay. Well, you know, audio. <laughs> no one knows. Uh, just so everyone is aware, uh, I'm a big film score fan. Scott's obviously a film composer. Madden's quite a score fan. Wayne has no idea about film scores. He says I just know music I like when I hear it, but I don't know the names. I don't know who anyone is, etc. So not really know. It'll be fun That's to go the best this. way to be
1: So yeah, I'm the one who's open. blind
0: In this one today. <laughs>
2: judge,
1: yeah. Judge by ear That's the best way to be Exactly after. You like You hear what you like And you like what you hear Absolutely Yeah Darn tootin <laughs> <What> <laughs> now Before he said. we
0: started the show um, Scott Because he Obviously has his uh, Synthesizer keyboards And everything with him At all times Was playing us in and like, Hidden under our theme song with the uh, 20th Century Fox fanfare. And you had some interesting things to say about that. Slash, if you want to play it, go ahead, but we'll probably get pulled for some kind of copyright <laughs> by Disney. I'll, I'll, I'll just give these you a
3: Yeah, just that little yeah, bit. Yeah, that's I think that can enough. be copyright free, sure. Um, so. No, it, it was one of those weird things. Uh, I discovered uh, when I was at university, uh, we had to do... Uh, because I studied uh, film music at uni and uh, we had to do sort of film music history as part of our course. And so we were given these long but fascinating lectures on uh, sort of the history of of so many things. And uh, there's a lot of film uh, fans that probably will know that that... That bit, that's your 20th Century Fox fanfare. Um, But if you watch... Loads of movies before a certain year. That's all you get. You don't get the da 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 because that came happened when uh, Fox merged with CinemaScope, and that that bit is the uh, is the CinemaScope extension. It's called. Oh wow! Um Yeah, so before before CinemaScope uh, joined the fold, you'll only hear the first half of uh, what we now know as the 20th Century Fox uh, fanfare. But uh, the other thing was, uh, it was composed uh, by uh, a guy called Alfred Newman, who was this sort of golden age, prolific composer. And uh, I remember being absolutely smacked around the face, by the knowledge that basically all of the Newmans that you might have heard of who work in film scoring are all related. There's like a Newman empire of film composers. So like Alfred Newman composed that back in like the, the 40s, I believe. And then it was conducted by his brother, Emil Newman, uh, and uh, I believe Alfred Newman is the grandfather of Randy Newman. Randy, I knew Randy Newman. Okay. I know about him. Okay, yes. Um, but uh, Randy Newman is also, I think, Thomas Newman's oh, uncle. That's the other one I knew as well. Hey. Um, Thomas Newman has a brother called David Newman. Actually who actually cousin, uh, not, not uncle. is but his yeah. cousin. Yeah, I just checked. Um, uh, David Newman, who uh, I think scored... He scored a lot of TV stuff. I think I remember he scored uh, Serenity, the Firefly movie. Mm-hmm. And oh, uh, wow. and David Newman also has a son, a young son called Joey Newman, uh, who is just taking his tentative first steps into film composing as well. So there you are, a long list of Newmans. That, wow. Uh, maybe that's what it is. It's like the Rothschilds that just own everything.
0: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You never know well, Specifically of all the Newmans I would say The probably most well known These days Would be Thomas Newman Has done some fantastic scores Here's the one You might remember Wayne As he did the score For the Lost Boys Wayne's like There was a score In the Lost Boys <laughs> Who did the score and I'm trying
2: Who did the score I just told you Which one Thomas or Thomas Andy? Newman Thomas Newman Right Thomas Newman
0: yeah, I like I say, most...
2: I've heard those names, I've heard Thomas and Randy, so I do actually know those names.
1: Yeah.
0: Okay. Yeah. He'll he'll know occasionally songs or things you hear, and you go, Oh, I know that. But Wayne's, I think, is more of like a classic theme guy more than a score guy. Yeah. You know, like you identify sure. very quickly like the it was Back like a Hitchy Harry or the Yeah. Or like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> throw throw in a like, you know, the obvious things that were in like child's play, and he'd go, That's child's play. That was John Carpenter. Yeah. That was Halloween.
3: He'd spot all those. Well, I mean, John Carpenter <laughs> is, you know, they call him the master of horror, but really more than anything, he's the master of simplicity. Yes. Um, You know, and that's the thing. His movies are simple, but brilliant. Like I was thinking about this the other day. With uh, I was thinking about The Thing, uh, which of course John Carpenter didn't actually score, but, you know, The Thing, there's no subplot. There's no backstory, there's no context, there's no love interest back home that's worrying about MacReady or anything like that. It's just, this thing is happening and only this thing is happening. And you can see how much that relates to his music as well. You know, you you look at pretty much any tune, You know, uh, Halloween it comes to mind straight away. All it is is... And that just goes on and on forever. And then when he get sick of it, he sort of moves it and just keeps it going and going and going. And it's the simplest thing in the world, but yeah. you spotted a mile off. It's effective.
0: Exactly. Yeah. And I think Carpenter, like you say, all of his scores are fairly simple. I mean, I, it's funny. We went and saw me and uh, Wayne saw Carpenter live doing his music uh, a couple of years ago. Genius. And it was great listening and watching everything live, but it's all boiled down to, like, the same four chords, practically. and uh, you, yeah, myself, still, Fans, fans go, oh, I know what this is. And you see the rest of the people in the audience, they have to wait for the images on the screen, then they go, oh, it's that one.
3: <laughs> <laughs> it, it reminds you me like... Go on. You look at any Carpenter movie, and you know, you get your big main theme, but the rest of the score is pretty much a lot of just sort of, like, you know, just... <clears throat> for about an hour yeah yeah and it but it does the it does the job though you know i I, i've been guilty of it myself i've uh i've scored a couple of sort of low budget 80s throwback horror movies where you just go right i've got about three days to score this whole movie um i'm just gonna go and that's fine i can carpenter it and it's fine
2: Mm. What, like was funny, what was rit- funny about that show, I remember about that, was there was a couple of times, and one of them, believe it or not, was Christine, which is obviously quite a well known one for me, I think, personally. But there was a couple of times, me and Hank would be like getting really excited, and the rest of the audience would look and say, What's this one? What's this one? And we were both like, We know what this is. We know what this is. <laughs> Nobody yeah, knew
3: what yeah, it yeah. Was. And it was like, Chris- That's the thing that, that's simple enough that they can be iconic, you know. That you can hear like three notes and you and you know what it is. Um, I'm trying to remember the theme from Christina boom, boom 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 boom. Bon, bon. I haven't seen Christine for like two years, but I, that's I, I know that tune off the top of my head, you know Yeah. well, i I was gonna say that I
1: think as well as simplicity, um there's a lot of like character development in a good orchestral score. So when you were talking about the thing there, um, or another one I suppose could be Enrico Moroni and the good, the bad, and the ugly, um, the idea is that an orchestral score adds to the character and the character's development. So even though there is no subplot in the thing and there's nothing going on in the background, you don't, by the same token, learn a lot about their characters, but you kind of feel that you get to know them better through the score and you kind of feel that those, that music is a character in the film itself, and it's kind of guiding the audience on a journey. And I think that's kind of the, the big thing about a score.
3: Yeah, I, I think it's it's worth noting as well that there's, there's sort of two schools of film scoring. Um, there is the, the, the sort of traditional orchestral or, or thematic uh, film scoring uh, the likes of which Ennio Morricone was doing, like, like you said, um, you know, you look at, at John Williams and it's all light motifs or, or, or themes for individual characters and stuff like that. But the, uh-huh. the other school is to do it uh, instead of musically or melodically doing it sonically. Um, and you look at composers like uh, Bernard Herrmann, Hans Zimmer, uh, Jerry Goldsmith, who, instead of going oh what is the tune of this person what does this person sound like musically they can go oh what weird noise can we use to represent uh this character and you you look at you know um bernard herman for me i think is a, a hugely important uh player in, in in this field because he was kind of in many ways pioneering things, with a lot of the things that i think. yeah i mean the Hollywood studio system was such a rigid thing back in the sort of 40s, 50s and 60s. You know, you you had, it's very different now where every every composer who was working on a film was uh, uh, hired by the studio. They were under contract with the studio. So they would be assigned at random. It wouldn't be, you know, this director has chosen this composer because they like their style. It was just a case of, ah, this guy's free. You know, the composer sits down, writes the music, and once it's written, doesn't hear it again until the, uh, until the movie's out. Because it then goes to an orchestrator who's working separately, and that's then handed off to copyists who's working separately. And it's more or less, in order to make it as much of a sort of production line, like an assembly line kind of situation, it's more or less being stated as like, right, you have a symphony orchestra. That's what the composer got told. You have a symphony orchestra. You need to write a score for a symphony orchestra so that in six weeks you can write the music, the music can be orchestrated, and then we can have it put in front of an orchestra, you know, six weeks from now. Whereas Bernard Herman was the first to kind of go, you know, how about no? <laughs> how about doing a movie where, you know, you look at Psycho, uh, which is, you know, one of the greatest horror-slash-thrillers of all time and one of the best and most iconic scores of all time, that's only strings. There's no percussion, there's no brass, there's no woodwind, there's no piano. It's all strings. And not only is it just strings, the strings are all being played muted. And it's him who's looked at this movie and gone, okay, what can I do to sculpt the sonic landscape of of this film? Um, and that's why you end up with things like... Um, the day the Earth stood still, where you know you you got that first use of the theremin, which was groundbreaking at the time, and then sort of sadly became like a cliche short, very quickly shorthand for cheap B movie basically. Yes, but mm-hmm. when when Bernard Herrmann was using it, I don't even think uh, the days the Earth stood still was the first time he used it. I have a feeling he used it in a Hitchcock movie first. But it was this whole idea of let's find this ethereal, otherworldly sound. Mm-hmm. But then, you know, became shorthand. And that kind of tradition has continued on right up to the modern day. You've just got to look at the work that Hans Zimmer was doing on, uh, like, the Dark Knight trilogy. I
1: think mm-hmm. that
3: because those are movies that everyone's going to know. He looked at the the Joker and he went, well, I couldn't write a tune that says mad As Heath Ledger's performance, so he didn't bother. He started doing lots of sonic experiments where he was playing piano strings with razor blades, or he was uh, he had two cellos sitting in a room playing the same note, and then at like on a whim, one of them would change the note ever so slightly, so it would go out of tune. So it's all about if you listen to the, the the score to the Dark Knight, it's all about these. Tensions and these tense, uncomfortable textures whenever the Joker mm-hmm. is on screen. And there's no musical intention there. It's not like he's going, oh, the Joker, you know. It's, 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 he's gone for this. <laughs> what a better movie he mad... be had
0: though. Oh my God.
3: <laughs> well, I, you know. Every time I mean, he goes on the
0: screen, you know how I got these scars? <laughs>
3: the, the, the Tim Burton version, exactly. That'd be fantastic. Uh, but but uh, that's the thing, you know. But that's the interesting thing, especially when you look at uh, like Batman, which is something that's been interpreted and reinterpreted countless times. Yeah, and mm-hmm. you can see the the musical uh, spin that each composer has has put on it. You know, I, I'm a big fan of the 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 Danny Elfman. Batman theme. Oh, I love that. It's nicked directly from Bernard Herrmann. I kid you not. I kid you not. Listen to, uh, oh, what is it? It's uh, a journey to the center of the earth. I think Bernard Herrmann's score, and it literally, it's it's like it's all that sort of minor, da 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 da, all that kind of stuff. Uh, even down to like the it's all there. It's just stolen straight hands up, stolen and yet works beautifully. Um, but you know, you, you, you look at that and, and you go, Oh, okay. That's what Batman sounds like. And then, you know, just a couple of years later, you've got, and that's it. That's all Batman is. Yeah. That's it. And it's, it's Mm -hmm. fascinating to go, Oh shit. Yeah. And that's still as iconic and it works perfectly within that world. You know, you can have the crazy circus music for the, for the Joker in, in, uh, in the 90s or the late 80s or whenever you're doing it, um, but it might not necessarily fly because we've heard circus music from, for 20 more years since then.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: Mm-hmm. To to have different connotations around it Sorry I feel like I've gone off on a bit of a rant there I'm sure we were talking about the two schools of film scoring
0: <laughs> Well I was going to say On the topic of what you were talking about About sonically versus like themes and motifs And all that sort of stuff I think there's, there's, there's really four schools In my eyes when I listen to film scores And that's traditional uh, scoring that's meant to be about the this is the character's theme, this is the movie's theme, this is the, and mm-hmm. it'll bring elements in throughout. And the second one is like you were saying sonically, where it's more about, you know, creating the emotion as opposed to a theme itself. And there's a lot of those where you you'll listen to the movie you'll watch the movie and it'll feel right. And you'll go, Wow, this score is good. And then you buy the score and you listen to it and you go, Wow, nothing happens here without the images. <laughs> because it's a perfect <laughs> marriage between yes. the two. You know what I mean? It's not that it's a great theme. It's that that theme works so good in the movie, in the context of what you're watching. The third one is I think some composers, and I know I'm probably going to get shit for this. Some composers are just doing their touch, their thing. It's not so much the movie like you said there, Bernard Herrmann was kind of adapting to the movie. What does this movie need to be told better? I think some composers, they go, I can do a good, my spin on this movie. And, and I'm going to get hate for this. John Williams is a great example of that in my eyes because if you're a John Williams fan, every song is unique. Kind of like if you're a Carpenter fan, every song is unique. But if you don't know them, you might not know which one's which. Superman, Indiana Jones, Star Wars, all sound incredibly similar in between their main themes because they're all Williams-esque, in my opinion. Um, Oh, I do I
3: I can agree with you to some degree, sure. But I think it's... As a John Williams fan, you hate me. <laughs> no, no, no not, not at all. I, I think it's a, potentially a misunderstanding of just straight-up similarity and style. You know, John Williams, in terms I, of
0: just say, style, I do think, is, I mean, it's his style, not, his, not that he just oh, makes totally, it. sound totally. alike. I mean, he but has a style of the kind of instruments he gets used the most often. And, you know, they all have a very similar feel to them But that is I, I, his I style think, One second, Scott, I, before I, you continue And my fourth <laughs> one oh, Sorry, go on Yeah, my fourth one was Movies that are trying to step out of the traditional zone to be unique or at least modernized movies like fight club where they had the dust brothers do the score there was no orchestration of any kind it was all done dj work our movies like uh, oblivion where m83 scored it unleashed where massive attack you a band scored it and it's starting to step out from being traditional <clears throat> and scores can take on so many different varieties now of the kind of music well, you no, expect I,
3: I would argue however that the the what you're describing there as the non-traditional uh, school of it is actually just the the Sonic one that I described earlier. Because you look at, at M83, and in, instead of writing... There's, there's not really any theme in that Oblivion score. And I love that movie, by the way. I love that score. Uh, yeah, it's a good score. It's really good, actually. Yeah. But, uh, but it is just... for about an hour. Um... But the thing is, it's it's the way that they're using uh, orchestra, uh, orchestrated textures and uh, synthesized textures together to create the sonic landscape of that world, which I think is much more in line with. Um, it's definitely not its own thing. I would potentially argue that uh, the stuff you were saying about maybe doing more sort of DJ-led scores um are potentially becoming their own thing but again it's more about painting the 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 sonic landscape than writing thematic material because because when I was saying sort of traditional versus sonically I don't necessarily mean orchestral versus not orchestral because you can have an orchestral score that is not traditionally thematic you know so when I say traditionally I mean in terms of leitmotifs and stuff like that but I can name plenty of uh, non-orchestral scores that are still full of leitmotifs. Um, you look at uh, uh, vangelis's score to Blade Runner, for example. There is the Blade Runner theme bum, 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 that pops up all the way through the movie. That's a very traditional thing to do, bodies using non-traditional instruments and and stuff like that. What I will argue as well is that uh, I'm not going to sort of Go into uh, talking about like needle drops or something like that. That's that's a very different. That's a very very different uh, school of thought entirely. A, lead, a needle drop is not a score, especially not nowadays. Um, I'm just going to say, nowadays, very quickly,
0: <laughs> this guy he knows music, he knows musical theory, he knows instrumentation, he knows everything. This is like when you get a big fucking pie and you take a slice of the pie and he goes, now this is a uh, special crust that we've done with a a mixture of gluten-free thing with minutiae and zest of you know lemon on top and the uh, inner crumble was made with this. I'm sitting there like, yeah, it's tasty. (laughs) So he can go into the furthest explanations of what makes a pie. I can only tell you how I perceive the pie and that's the way I think we are with music versus you, dude. So you're no, ta- totally, I was telling you my so- thoughts, and you're like, no, 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 you got it all wrong, man, because it all, I'm just telling you what it sounds like,
3: man. <laughs> but, but, the, but the, the thing is, regardless of whether you know the minutiae of how everything's happening behind the scenes, like you said, you know, whether you like it or not, and you know, whether it works or not. Yeah. And you know, those things because of the things I'm talking about. If yes. people weren't following those schools and those rules, it wouldn't work and you'd know it. And you wouldn't necessarily know why, but you knew it wouldn't work. You know, it, it's 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 an interesting. And, and what you were saying about uh, John Williams, just to quickly hop back there. Yep. There's, I think John Williams. There are a lot of. There is a Williamsy sound, hands yes. down. There is a Williamsy sound, um, but I I think it's kind of important to look at the ones where he has stepped out of what is his style. John Williams is far more uh, versatile than I think a lot of people give him credit for. You know, he is known for this whimsy and this magical, traditional, sort of uh, comfortable, homey-sounding music, you know? Mm -hmm. But you can look at something like, um, let's say, Harry Potter, Star Wars, Indiana Jones, and you can see the sort of triumphant, heroic, yes. you know, bombastic scoring. But then, to me, if you look at something like um, like War Horse, uh, which John Williams scored, now me, as a musician who knows sort of the classical side of things, I can hear his score, and I don't hear John Williams, I hear people like Vaughan Williams and Elgar, and you can listen to it and go, right, well, this is a very sort of, it's a very English story. It's a very British story set during the war. So I'm going to write in the style of those great classical English composers. Yes. Um, And you you can hear the difference. And then you you can hear things like um, uh, uh, the Post movie that just came out a couple of years ago. Um, John Williams scored that, and it sounds nothing like a John Williams score. It's very contemporary, very minimalist. Um, and I think the same is true of everyone. Everyone has their own style, you know. People can talk about Danny Elfman doing a lot of like kind of stuff, you know. Yeah. Which, of course, he did in the '90s, but he's done so much more that I yeah, don't. I'm not, think I'm not
0: saying that they're incapable <coughs> of me. doing
3: more. Oh no, I, I just mean I, they're well I think the most well known for their people. sound. Yeah. Totally. Like, totally. I would and say some composers thing.
0: don't have a sound that's theirs. And other composers do. That's my opinion. It's just an opinion. Like, yeah, for example, I, I, if you listen to going, going, going to a different topic, if you listen to someone like, um, uh, what's his name? Something Taylor. Uh, shit. Uh, looking at Brian these? Tyler, Brian Tyler. Sorry. Yes. Brian Tyler. I've listened to a bunch of Brian Tyler scores and each one just feels like a score it doesn't feel like a Brian Tyler score so much. Whereas if I listen to an Alan Silvestri score, most of the time I go, ah, that's Silvestri. Like a lot of Predator is in Back to the Future and some of Back to the Future is in, you know, Avengers Endgame, that kind of thing. Yes, there's the main themes and all that sort of stuff's different, but the bits they do in the in-between, it's like you fall back on that that kind of your sound sometimes. Some people, my opinion, as an audience member only, not as a musician. That's fair. I I think...
3: Let's start going.
2: No, um,
1: no. All, all I was... Oh, sorry. No, go I'm ahead. I said
2: Madden. I said Madden.
1: Oh, sorry. All I, all I was going to say that, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm learning a lot listening tonight. So I really appreciate that. And, and thank you, Scott, because there's a lot that you're saying that I'm writing notes down here because I'm very interested in in what you have to say. And you obviously have a, a wealth of knowledge about what you're doing and you're obviously in the right job for that. But in terms of myself as um, a watcher of film and as a, an audience member and a lover of film, for me orchestral score and theme music is linked in with memory so um it's kind of nostalgia and reminding me of certain characters and scenes give and us some great examples. examples um so james horner uh with titanic or queen when they did the flash Gordon soundtrack or even like um anton karas uh, who did uh, the third man, the Joseph Cotton film, mm-hmm. uh, with when he played the theme tune on the zither. You know, I can listen to music like that. Uh, Brad Fidel, when uh, who did Terminator Two? You know, and, and Back One. to the Future is yes, indeed. But when you've when you've mentioned uh, sort of you know people like um, you know when you mentioned Back to the Future, you kind of hear that theme tune. And it's very evocative of the film and it kind of, um, well, for me, it rallies a response. So one example I'd give of that is a couple of years ago, I remember posting something on social media along the lines of, I was taking a bus journey to work. I put on um, my phone, put on Spotify on random, and suddenly the Back to the Future Overture came up. And for whatever Mm. reason, it was making the journey to work a hell of a lot more exciting. And so I kind of posted that going, "Do you know, this music makes my journey suddenly feel a lot more kind of engaging and exciting because that was the feelings that were resonating through me with that music. Um, Partially because of the film and the memories I had from watching it, but also because they had done such a damn good job in in creating the score.
3: Well, I I think film music... Sits in a interesting, uh, an interesting category all of its own, outside of a movie, because you know, obviously, in, in um, at least in the traditional sense, I, I know, I know that there are movies that are, are scored differently now, but but more or less, you score a movie once the movie's finished, you know, you you because everything has to be uh picture locked you have to be able to see the rhythm of the movie in order to to, to write the rhythm of the music and it's so the, the music is very much the
0: movie <laughs> oh, oh. sorry i could not resist that
4: <laughs>
3: <laughs> but the 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 movie is the, the 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 score is obviously therefore written as a response to the movie. And then we see the movie and hear the score alongside the movie, which then gives us another set of connotations and, uh, and all of that. And then we can listen to it on its own. And we are then capable of hearing the music on its own, but also then have that extra interpretation of being able to visualize the film along with it. So it, it sits in this very dual space that not much other music does, um, except perhaps from you know religious music or or uh, music for ballet or opera that you can lift out of each of those things and still get it. But you know you don't necessarily get that from um, you know ordinary pop music or rock music. <laughs> Um, <laughs> what's yeah, what going on there <laughs> I'm sorry I just heard someone in the background some, one of you guys has the window open and I just heard some kid going yeah, well,
1: yeah, I heard a kid there as well I was thinking what was that you, uh, you, you must have heard you must have heard that better than I heard it because I heard them say something outside the window but you've obviously heard that clearer than even I've heard it sitting next to the bloody window <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
4: oh <laughs> Christ this is the oh, kind of fun brilliant. things that happen when
0: you don't when you're not in your studio and everyone's at yeah. home. That's, That's what, a, what a wonderful neighborhood what a I wonderful live in. It's it's wonderful. Wonderful. <laughs> I will say, um, there's a couple of things I want to mention about about scores. And one thing I want to mention real quick is m- much like Madden talking about him on the bus there. Ironically, uh, we were we were shooting a short film years ago. Called A Test of Faith Me and Wayne Thompson Yeah And we were standing outside With one of the actors Who was from down south He was from like Leeds or somewhere Um, (laughs) You remember exactly What I'm going to say We were standing out Talking about the scenes That we were going to do next And some kid Somewhere on this Terrace neighborhood So it's like a hundred houses You know All terrace Blocked together Some kid Had a window open And he was practicing Yeah Like his instruments He had like a flute Or something And he was playing The Back to the Future theme Badly he was Really bad, and and we all just kind of stopped oh. talking and just listened to it. This little drifting on the wind of some kid somewhere, <laughs> Didn't and then we joined in at, at one point because, yeah, we started like encouraging him, and he yeah. stopped and then slowly, started to play again. And it was, were, <laughs> we were like, do some other scores, and he could all he could do was that one theme. And I thought it was funny that that kid obviously learned that theme probably before even maybe like you know, twinkle, twinkle, little star. Because that would be what he like set out to learn. Because that's the only thing he played for like 10 minutes. And we were just so entranced by this coming on the wind. And I wish I knew where that kid was. (laughs) Going back to what you said (laughs) earlier on as well,
2: about um, knowing an artist by his music. I know where you're coming from with that. Because with me being a big Full Moon fan and stuff like that, I hear a lot of the music in those films. And it's always by the same guy. And it's always the same kind of thing, just slightly tweaked.
3: Um, Richard Band Oh yeah, well Richard Richard Band, so I've heard a couple of scores by Richard Band but I was first uh, I first heard him because he scored Reanimator Yes, that's uh, right Yeah, He's done all of Yeah, he's done nearly all of them um, And the one thing I was I, I think he probably also scored from beyond, yes, but I, I think can't he remember did. much of that score, but I have to say how the f Fuck! He got away with the score to Reanimator. I will never know because it is nearly <laughs> note for note Bernard Herrmann score to Psycho.
2: Thank you, right, thank you very much because almost note. There's a for lot note. of times right, Psycho music, come on, I've always said Reanimator. And everybody's like, "We're not Psycho. Where the hell are you coming from?" Is it that Reanimator? It's,
3: it's it's Psycho with a drum machine,
2: isn't it? Thank That's you. It, it's so just like after all these years, I ain't going insane.
1: It is the same music. Do you guys? Do you guys see that as copyright infringement or just paying that, yes. homage? No, okay. Well, it, just to, to say,
0: pay. I'm just reading about it on the internet here. Good old internet. And it says that Richard Brandt has said, oh yeah, I totally took major influence from Her- uh, Herman's score, psycho score. And yes, the similarities are completely intentional. I use it as a base and then modify the main themes, but I wanted to keep it feeling like Herman would have scored it himself. There you go. At least he's admin
3: to it, I guess. See, but yeah. here's, here's the problem. If you <laughs> are. <laughs> If you are yes, wanting to, fuck f- him, fuck him very yeah, much. Like, exactly, fuck him. If you are wanting to wow. invoke the, because the, here's the thing, right? This is something that I think is, is really important to learn. If, if you're wanting to become a film composer, if you're wanting to sort of immerse yourself in that world, one of the most important, uh, important skills to learn is the skill of pastiche. Um, I would imagine the the same is true as a filmmaker. You know, you want in order to study how to make films, you can do so by studying how other people have well, that's made films.
2: Exactly,
0: film. exactly. I have to say, unless you're Quar- Tartino, in which case you just rip it off hundred percent. Yeah, you it,
3: and that's exactly kind of my point. Because it's like there's a difference between listening to a huge amount of Bernard Herman music and figuring out what it is that makes it Bernard Herman music. There's a huge difference between that and going that tune there. I'm going to lift verbatim into oh. into my score and maybe move one or two notes up and down. That's theft. I don't care how much of an homage you know, he says you it said is. You see
2: that, but. If I like, if I create the some major effects, and then somebody sort of took that and did their own little tweak on it, I'd be quite proud that they want to take my work because they were so impressed with it to actually do something with it. So I can see both
1: sides of the story though. It's 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 interesting because a lot of this is coming out in terms of like more commercial pop music as well these days, where I was people just about say, to say, "Oh, that, enough. yeah, yeah, that there's nothing ever original in the charts," not. and so. Is, is the same argument then as far as orchestral music, you know, in, in one sense, I mean, not to be completely ignorant, but sure, here it goes, you can't invent new notes. So there's only so much music in theory that one can write. So in that respect, people know what they like. And so are you then effectively just always copying the work of what they copied before and so forth
2: I think the difference with Richard Band was that was done way back in 1985 I think when he did that so that was literally theft sure. I'll give him that much. that was you know. yeah oh sure but Vernon yeah, right. right. Herman hadn't been <laughs> dead
3: that long by the time he did
2: but at least at least he's still up and known but what I do like about Richard Bandle is he does still try to develop it further he doesn't just literally Steal it for stealing's sake. He does steal the same car, of it, no doubt about that. But he did try to add little bits to it.
0: Yes, it here's, was still here's a question weird, for you like it, I'll be honest. How do you guys feel about this comment from Nick Cave in the bad seeds? Nick Cave, who's actually done several film scores himself, he was accused of stealing the melody from a song recently, and he says "plagiarism is an ugly word for what in rock and roll is a natural and necessary." even admirable tendency, and that is to steal. Theft is the engine of progress and should be encouraged, even celebrated, provided the stolen idea has been advanced in some form or way. Yeah. To advance an idea is to steal something from someone and make it so cool and covetable that someone then steals it from you. In this way, modern music progresses, collecting ideas and mutating and transforming as it goes. And in many ways, I think film film scoring has been exactly the same, building on the Which
1: basis is kind of like it. what I've
2: just
0: said, isn't it, about the makeup thing?
2: Yeah,
1: I... I I could see the argument around that. I mean, when you look at painting or sculpting in the Renaissance or whatnot, as the years went on, different artists would obviously copy or pay homage to what was popular. And through creating different works, they eventually kind of, it it helps the modern techniques move on. But I, I think definitely we live in an age, especially the last 50 to 100 years, where there is real sort of suddenly everything is litigious, everything, everyone is afraid of copyright theft. I mean, I, I'm not being blasé when I, and I, just just a final point, I'm not being blasé when I say that, you know, there's a couple of themes I'm hearing on tonight's show, and there would legitimately be a question of, hang on, should we be playing this? Is this not copyright theft? Because everyone feels afraid of almost suing everyone else to the detriment of advancing You know, you're you're
0: creative. We didn't catch that one. He literally ran the clock out. (laughs) I was like waiting, trying to jump in to go. Minute left, minute left. Hello there, Clock Runner.
1: Clock Runner. Yeah, you ran it straight to zero. I didn't close it, it closed itself. Yeah, well, you know, it would be when I was making the first salient point of my life that suddenly the <laughs> audio went, This is too much, just stop now.
4: <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, it was good.
0: It was it was just shy of perfect timing because I think you were just about to finish your point completely. And then yes.
3: I was about to rebuke it.
0: <laughs> yeah, I was about to rebuke it too Funny enough Oh, oh so right. much rebuking will happen It's like a, a regular rebu- rebukake going on I was just about to say rebukake <laughs>
4: I mean, fuck,
3: Fucking hell <laughs> Oh
0: where's Wayne at <laughs> <laughs> Oh yes play Wayne in Lovely
3: You see, now I would listen to what you just
0: played and I would have said, that's from Final Fantasy. But I bet it's Uh, not. That's
3: Back to the Future. Yes, it is. The
0: way it was played on the piano there just now. Oh, yeah, now I can hear it, actually, yeah. Actually, (laughs) when
2: I I heard it earlier... It sounded like a computer game as well.
3: Yeah, it reminded me of Final Fantasy. Weird. I'm I'm using... uh, a really old sound module. This this is the shittiest piano sound ever. Um, I'm using a really old sound module because it's the only way to get sound through into Zoom. Um, but... Uh, yeah, anyway, Matt, did you
0: want to continue that point so we can cocky it?
1: <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what that means. Um, I was... Oh, uh, you're no. so cute. I, was, I will uh, say, before yes. you
0: continue, if anyone doesn't know this man, Wayne Madden, uh, established, well-known journalist and radio host. And Why
1: must you lie?
0: Well, it's a fact. You wrote for that <laughs> paper. You wrote for uh, all those magazines. You have had many radio shows. He's a big fan of, of sweaty wrestling, men on men. Action a paper called
3: That? Anyway, this is clearly a romance scene. Sorry, it is, and I just want to tell everyone what he means to me.
0: No, he's a world weary man, yet somehow he's retained being a giant fucking teddy bear. And I'll (laughs) tell him things like, you know, oh man, you'd see that bukkake video, and be like, what's a bukkake? He just just through life and doesn't know these terms and these horrible things that we all experience and. Love and get off on, and he's just like an innocent little dude just wandering through. Like, oh, they what what is an incest that sounds bad? (laughs) And we're all like, don't worry about it, just keep being innocent, keep being innocent and beautiful.
1: Wow, I'll do my best. I'll do my so, best. Yeah,
0: so continue with your point, please. It's a very litigious world we live in now, and everyone yeah. wants to stake I a claim do. on their copyright and so on. I get. I, I
1: do. From. I do think that that's the point. I do think that over the last fifty to hundred years, especially, you know, that the world has become more about capitalism, and we've thought more about suing the next guy then where the next great piece of artwork or the next great sort of thing is coming from. And and I really, I believe that. And I think that has a lot to do with what's caused these problems.
3: I think sort of looking at that sort of capitalist side of things, I think one of the problems is, especially in the last sort of 50 years, um, it has become considerably harder to earn a living, from music, um, you know, I, I I am here as a a professional in the industry who's still kind of waiting for his big break. You know, I'm 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 working enough, but nowhere near enough. You, you know, I find and that's
2: the fil- the media industry. Full stop. Though I think I was going to say a, it's oh, exactly
0: oh, the same for filmmakers. It, yeah, now. It, it's it's no, a very totally, hard But
3: yeah,
2: absolutely. but it's, it's
3: it's it's a very uh, saturated world. It, exactly, we're in. you know, hugely you know, I can. Yeah, I I make YouTube videos uh, uh, sort of as an aside to my film scoring work, and I shoot them on my phone, edit them on free software, and that's it. Everyone else on the planet can do that, and that exactly. is that is the world that we're living in now. So when I am sitting here with you know my my recording software and the synthesizers that I own, it becomes very difficult to do something so because <sighs> you have to dance an interesting line of original uh, originality. You have to be original enough that you're going to get hired over someone else, but you also need to be able to do exactly what other people want you to be doing, which could be what everyone else is doing.
0: It's funny. You should say that. Cause I was going to say, we live in a, a very strange time uh, where it's like for you, you know, back in the day, if you could orchestrate a, you know, a whole, Uh, You know, conduct the whole orchestra That'd probably be like a big leg in But now everyone can synthesize an orchestra And do everything on a keyboard So as long as you have basic ability Like you say, everyone can do these things now And it's the same with filmmaking 30 years ago, it was so cost prohibitive To be a filmmaker Mm -hmm. But now everyone gets a fucking iPhone And thinks that they're the next, you know Tarantino starts filming their girlfriend's feet And calls it a day Everyone on YouTube who has a bit of scratch Can have better quality Than a lot of independent filmmakers Because they've got a little bit of scratch behind their equipment And it's that simple You can just pump content out there And we're now so oversaturated with content So you think to yourself Well, it's going to be based on my ideas, right? So I better come up with some really good fucking original ideas And they're the most ignored thing on the planet The more original you are the harder it is for you to find an audience, the more you start to match. And this is something I've learned over the last couple of years. The more you start to match what everyone else is doing, the more they go, "Oh, I see what you've done there." And you gave it that slight tweak. I can understand that because that's something well, just, based on what I've already seen or know. Well, just about. in
3: relation to my uh, YouTube channel, you you've got to look at, at that in and of itself. Um, You know, I am a composer. I write original music on my YouTube channel. I not only perform some of my original music, I also review equipment. And then as an aside, I also occasionally do a cover of a, a piece of electronic music or a piece of film music. And that's the stuff that everyone knows. Yeah. yeah, I'm the, the only reason that I'm still making any money off YouTube whatsoever is because I did a cover of the Terminator four years ago, which now has eight and a half million views oh, and, wow. and <laughs> nothing else cover, has, though. Oh wow! <laughs> but, <laughs> but nothing but the, else, has. you know, I, I've, yes. I think everything else that's popular sits between the 20 and 30,000 views, which is still nice, still respectable, yes. but not one of those things is an original piece of music. You know, not one of those things is an album sale. Not I, one of those things. I
0: did see. I'm just gonna say about your YouTube channel. It did make me sad, and it, it's it's perfectly indicative of what we're talking about. I looked at your like you did a thing about uh, from Tron, Daft Punk, or whatever, and I loved it. It was great. That had like good amount of hits on it, and then I listened to the the one you did for that film recently about the um, uh, someone in the house. Oh, The Babysitter, yeah. The Babysitter one. And I thought, that is so fucking fun, and it's original, but it sounds so um, Carpenter-esque and 80s-esque, and it's perfectly the right sound for what it should be. And that had, like, so many significant less notice, because I guess even, even the people that subscribe to you probably flicked through and went, I don't know that song.
3: And they just fucking bypassed it. What the hell? Exactly. But So the babysitter I scored uh, a couple of months ago, Um, it's one of my favorite things I've scored in the last couple of years. I'm really happy with that score. And obviously I wrote the fun, goofy uh, 80s pop song for it, which I also love. Um, And I'm super happy with that. I I think it's great. Um, And... (laughs) And that score is also the reason that I'm not just Scott Ampleford film composer. I am the award-winning Scott Ampleford film composer. I'm like, okay, yeah. great. So I must be doing something right. And then I toss it on YouTube and it gets like maybe 200 views. And it's like, guys, I have I have nearly 20,000 subscribers. Where the How fuck are, are you all? Just, like, what, yeah, are you, exactly, what are you exactly. doing? You know, yeah. I've, I, so it's you, it's one of those things where it's just like, I, it, it's so difficult to, to find something that an audience can latch onto, And I know because I've been trying to recreate the success of the Terminator video for years, and it's never happened. I've told you what you need to do. You need to have the Terminator actually play the music. That's what yeah, you need I, to do. I agree with That's that. I just, I I'll just fun. reach Gimmics. out to Arnie's people and Gimmick. see if...
1: Uh, I can do the makeup for you. Is this, is this like... Um, Sarah going... Carlo? Go, going back to the point that you were saying earlier in regards to orchestral themes and, and obviously copyright theft and all that kind of stuff. Um, is this a case of, I mean, for example, I, I must have seen Back to the Future, what, like a hundred times? I must have seen Terminator 2 like a hundred times over the years mm-hmm. and watched those films again and again. And I kind of think that that music resonates so much with me because I've heard it over and over. So when I hear a song I like, uh, Queen would be a great example. When I hear a song by Queen, even if it's an artist doing a cover of their music, for me, it's like, oh, this is a great song because it's something I'm familiar with. Whereas when you hear something new, you obviously then, it takes a little while to permanate and and to kind of, you know, grow, if you like, and you kind of have to get used to it and you're exploring something new, whereas nostalgia is such a powerful factor. Um, and that's why I oh, think... Totally, yeah,
3: yeah. totally. Yeah. Well, the nostalgia <laughs> factor is very much like the human factor because you were saying something earlier about, you know, there's only so many notes. Sure. But if you think numerically there are nigh on infinite combinations of those notes it's like you know uh, you 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 see it in movies so many times Ah, damn there's a 10-digit keypad here we need a four a four-digit combination well there's millions of four-digit combinations that you could have for those 10 keys well a piano has 88 keys think how many more combinations there are of that sure but but like most said, people we you are start humans, with one two
0: three four for that combination
3: but it's one ah. of those things we as humans gravitate towards familiar sounding things it's not uh-huh. just that
2: i think one thing i've learned over this time and i hate this i hate i admit this as well is gimmicks the audience of today seemed to love gimmicks well
0: nostalgia
4: utilizes a gimmick quite yeah, often exactly
2: quick eye catching gimmicks this TikTok which I can't stand I never <laughs> understood it seems to be taken off and that's yeah. what I'm saying if you had something like the Terminator playing the Terminator thing TikTok that would just it would probably blow up do you know what I mean little things like that is what gets you noticed And what what we try what I think the best way sometimes do is get noticed through the, the little stupid niches stupid things to get people attached to you so then they'll might hopefully listen to your work and watch your work or do you know what i mean and it's sad you've got to do it this way but i think sometimes for us who's stuck in the middle of nowhere in the industry
3: it's the easiest way to do it yeah, it's yeah, funny i was, I was... sorry Sagad, go on no well i was just saying, it's 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 mainly about sort of the the time and the effort that you're mm-hmm. willing to put into something yeah, exactly as well. And I mean, you know, the, the Terminator video, when I did that, I think it maybe took two days, um, just to nail the arrangement down, shoot all of the the performance of, of, of me playing it and then editing it together. It maybe took two afternoons to throw that video together. And it's one of those things where <clears throat> I'm, t- I'm tied into a schedule with YouTube now, because YouTube has become so heavily reliant on its algorithm that... You have to be able to upload regularly
4: mm-hmm.
3: in order to get anywhere. And this is, this is where it's, it's, it's been a huge problem for people who do things like animation. YouTube is not a friendly platform for animation these days because animation takes time. You think- cannot make animated content regularly. You look at people like uh, Mr. Weeble. Mr. Weeble was massive at one point. He could put out a video whenever he wanted and it would get a couple of million views and it would be some entertaining, uh, silly, animated content. But he can't do that now. He he has lost that successful... He's doing his own thing with his band and stuff like that, which is great. But he literally could not get anywhere with doing the kind of videos he was doing a couple of years ago, even though they're still funny, even though they're still require talent because if you cannot upload a video every week or every couple of weeks you are going nowhere on that platform yeah absolutely and so that's the thing i find myself in 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 a a tricky situation i'm sure many other sort of small scale youtubers do as well in that uh i have i i've figured out that every two weeks is just about enough to keep my channel relevant but that means that's I, I, you know, if it takes a week to make a video, that means I have to push everything else aside for that week because not only do I have to up- upload regularly, but that content has to be good. It can't just be, you know, uh, gone are the days where I can flip on my, my uh, front camera on my iPhone and record a Hey guys, really sorry, no video here this week. I'm busy and blah, blah, blah. You can't do that anymore. No one's going to give a shit. You've got to actually have good quality content every two weeks. And it eats up so much time. I, I've got album projects, I've got film scores, I, I've got my own, you know, I'm trying to start a company uh, building synthesizer modules, all of which every two weeks has to get put on hold for me to put that content out because money, because relevance, because I need that platform. Um, and it becomes a very, very difficult space. But that being said, I do think there's still room for innovation. I do think there's still room for people to be doing new things. And here's the thing, Wayne, you just mentioned TikTok and you've immediately gone, well, I don't like it. I don't personally.
2: Thing. That's because I'm an old person but, probably.
3: Um, but that's, I mean, I was on Vine when Vine was a thing. Oh God. And Now you can say, oh God, but the talent it took and the effort that it took to have six seconds of video and be able to make something that could make someone laugh or make someone see something or tell a tiny story or something. And people did it all the time. There was some genuine funny stuff on, on Vine. No, there there was, was and I'd say the same for TikTok. And that's the thing.
2: Exactly. And this is why I'm saying it, even though I don't like it. And that's, I, I agree, and it's a good platform to help promote yourself. That's what I'm saying. Even though I don't like it, doesn't mean I don't agree with it. It's, I, it's, it's kind would, of
0: like an age thing. Sorry, man, yeah. two seconds. Sorry, no. I know you're trying to talk. Um, I look at TikTok, and I get immediately frustrated with it, same as I did with Vine, because my girlfriend is younger than me by nine years, so she is much more into these things. And she shows me all the shittest memey crap off these things. And it sours me off the concept. I know <laughs> there's people that do good content and do, like like Scott says, they can tell a good story in a short space of time or they can make you laugh or it's funny or whatever. But my attention span is such that I want something more than four seconds on my phone. That's fine for quickly sharing something to someone on Facebook. You know, oh, that was cute. Here, have a look at this cat fell over. It's sleepy. Ha ha ha. As a filmmaker, I'm I'm more about stories than a single moment. And so, like, it just drives me nuts that we are, as a society, if you don't capture, a lot of times it's getting to the stage where if you don't capture someone in that six seconds, you don't have time to tell them a story because they've already fucked off. And that's the negative consequence of things like TikTok and Vine and their popularity is it's getting the the window to say to someone, I remember back in the day, you'd have an elevator pitch. That's what they would call it. You know, the time it takes for the bottom floor to reach the top floor. You could pitch to this executive. Here's your elevator pitch. One minute. That one minute is getting shorter and shorter and shorter and shorter,
3: to where oh, now totally. it might
0: be fifteen fucking seconds. Yeah. Right. Well, I, you got fifteen seconds. Remember. Pitch for your movie. Done. Okay. It's well, a movie.
3: It's good. Um. Uh. And it's got people in it. Nope. Not good enough. Bye. Nyong. I distinctly remember when I was studying at college, I had a lecturer called Andy Smith. <clears throat> great guy, very knowledgeable, very entertaining. He was one of those great lecturers that could talk to you about anything and you'd get it. And he was—he once did an exercise with us where uh, he, he used to work for a record label uh, before he was a, a lecturer. And he had kept a lot of, like, the demo tapes and demo CDs and stuff that had been pushed through the letterbox of the, the, the label. Uh, and he kept them for teaching so he could do this exercise where he would put on a CD and say, right, you have 10 seconds to listen to this track to decide whether or not you're going to listen to more of it. And he would just ram through these these, you know, maybe t- 30 recordings where he's playing 10 seconds of each recording and then going, right, what do you like? And then you're going, well, you know, I really want to be able to listen to more of that to make any kind of judgment. And then he just goes, Yep, yeah, but that's not what the people at record labels are doing.
2: Yeah, he's right they're exactly. listening to the first 10 seconds correct. and
3: if they don't want to listen to any more after the first 10 seconds, they're not going to and you're done.
2: It's the same as uh, showreels for actors. It's the same as uh, a lot of stuff, basically. They'll, they'll look at the first... 10, 20 seconds if they don't like it. Same as the, even the script, they'll read the first two pages if they don't like it. Well, this we'll is something
0: that is a trope that is developed in film because of this attitude, and it's getting worse, is how many movies start toward the end. Yeah. Because you gotta give that, oh, yeah. you got to get that hook in there quick, and then they go, wait, let me back up and start earlier. I'm so fucking tired. Yeah. Mm, yeah. It's poor
3: storytelling. Well, I was just so literally just today i had this this interesting thing so i've um the video that i was making that caused the <laughs> the delay to the beginning of recording this um i've just done a a demo and review of a new synthesizer and uh, when I did that, when I when I do that, I tend to try and make as much music with it as possible. So all of the music that you hear in the review will have been made with that synthesizer and it will all be original so I can't get in trouble and all that kind of stuff. And so then I release it as an EP. <clears throat> now, my uh, music releasing platform of choice for smaller things like this is Bandcamp um, for shameless plug. For more plug away uh, man, plug away, give the full link. For, for larger projects and you know, studio albums and bigger film scores, I do tend to have stuff on all major streaming services, but for the smaller stuff like this I just chuck it out on Bandcamp because it's it's easier. Now Bandcamp has uh, a thing called Discover which is where uh, you can browse very, very easily by not just genres, but subgenres and also by uh, like format. So, if you want to find glam folk music that's only available on cassette, you can find that on, on Bandcamp. And it's great. And what Bandcamp does is it takes one track that you set as uh, like a, a, a taster. And uh, when someone sees your album cover, when they look on Discover, they can click on it and hear that one track. So you have to make the decision, holy shit, which is the track that I think is going to hook people into clicking on that link and going and looking at the rest of the album. Or it's even the thing where if you go straight to uh, the page for that album, if I were to send you the link, for example, directly to the page for that album, it would be the track that played first. Now myself, as an album guy, I hate that. I hate that. You know, I, I'm I'm one of these guys that uh, I, I like musical albums in a very traditional sense where the artist made these 10 tracks and they've put them in this order. This is the order that they're meant to be listened to all as one. I put the needle down at the beginning and lift it off at the end kind of thing. It's like you wouldn't start a movie in the middle. You know, and I'm not talking about narratively, like you're saying. Yeah, I was going to say, try tell that to most the kids these days. But yeah, I know what you mean. But you mean. wouldn't, you wouldn't put on a movie that is finished <laughs> and has its own structure, regardless of and what that structure may center, be. Yes. and start at 30 minutes in. You just wouldn't bother. Um So I don't see. You know, I realize that there are albums for which that is entirely possible. You know, it's it's not going to matter what order you listen to an Ed Sheeran album in. I get that. I get that. <laughs> they're all meant to be singles. They're all meant to be self-contained thing and an album is just a collection of those self-contained things, which I don't think is, is the right way that we should be going as an as a art-enjoying society.
0: Who's Ed um, shaven?
3: But Well, exactly. He's um, an incredibly he's the... rich
0: person who should invest in movies. Yes.
3: Oh, totally. Totally, yeah. yeah. With full full better composers at and, and, and stuff. But... uh you know, it's it's one of those things where now me as an artist who's uploading my music to a service and I want people to listen to me in the right order, but I have to make a decision. Do I select my Discover track as the first track of my album, which might not be, uh, might make musical sense if you listen to the album as a whole, but might not be that enjoyable on its own? or do I pick uh, a song from halfway through the album that's a bit catchier and force people to have to click a different button if they want to hear it properly?
0: Well, I and think the, the problem you're experiencing here is very uh, much a matter of your preference. Uh, do you want to sell your music or do you want people to respect you as an artist because there's a massive difference between those two things. I want people to
3: respect me as an artist from the albums that I've sold them.
0: (laughs) Well, that's always going to be track one then, man. You listen to it. I fucking want you to. (laughs) Otherwise you pick the catchiest. In fact, you should have a reprise joke track on every fucking album, which is just the catchiest, lamest shit you can think of. And that is what sells that album. So they get this like fucking da da, da 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 yeah 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 ah, and they go, oh that's catchy and stupid. I'll I'll buy that album. And the whole album's just dark fucking synth. That's oh, uh, so yeah. 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 yeah, that's been done though. Yeah.
1: That's that's already been done. There are, there are I a can believe of, it. That's there are marketing? a couple of examples of yeah. There are a couple of examples of bands through the years that have put a single-friendly song. On an album that, when people have bought it, they've gone, "This is nothing like the rest of the album." I mean, in like terms, Your of... "Your Woman" by White Town. Well, well, Every yes, other track but, was called "Not Your Woman." I was, I was thinking uh, something like "More Than Words" by Extreme is a is a good example of that. Where right, uh,
3: Intra- yeah, 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 yeah.
1: And people bought that album believing that that's the band's sound, but Thankfully, actually I didn't. It was, it was nothing <laughs> to do with that, and. Throughout, like, I mean, journalism throughout the last 15 years, I've wrote for, for, you know, written for countless magazines, websites, uh, gone to gigs, met unsigned (coughs) artists, interviewed them, etc. I want to say that I've probably listened to thousands and thousands of hours of music um, of unsigned bands, of bands who are emerging, of new artists, been sent stuff from record labels and a very very small percentage of the music i've listened to has ever ended up getting any sort of either commercial recognition or the proper recognition it deserves some of the best stuff i've ever heard throughout the years people have just they've they've never spoken about you know the band has faded into obscurity and i've thought that's a damn shame because they are some of the most talented people i've ever met and A lot of this stuff, TikTok and YouTube, yes, it's popular. It's all about saturation though as well. It's just this constant sort of upload, upload. As as you've said, you know, Scott, in regards to YouTube, I know people who produce videos professionally for YouTube and it's almost, it doesn't matter what you put up in one sense, if you're at a certain level, as long as you're just constantly uploading stuff.
3: Well, exactly, and I think that means that it, it sort of favours... I I don't mean to be rude towards... Uh... No, please, this is a pl- great platform to be rude on. No, I, I literally don't mean to <laughs> be rude. <laughs> I'll be rude because, for you if you like. Because... <laughs> 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 but I, I, I know that there are a, a, a great many uh, people on Dickets. YouTube uh, who... Y- y- look at PewDiePie, no, t- t- oh, right? Sure. PewDiePie, right?
1: Okay. No, yeah.
3: I... I, at one point, used to love watching PewDiePie, you know, he had a, a personality that, that I found quite watchable and, and you know, there's a reason that I'm he got the success that he has, <laughs> but, but here's the thing, you look at someone uh, like someone who does a, a video game stream. You look at that person and you suddenly realize when you're someone who's also making YouTube videos, that that person can sit down and play a video game for one hour, split that one hour into six 10 minute episodes. And then they've got either six weeks worth of weekly content that they've spent an hour on, or they've got the ability to put videos out every single day. And that's that's what people like PewDiePie can do, that they can sit down and they can and and now people like PewDiePie aren't doing it by themselves. They're they're doing this relatively simple task. Admittedly, their selling point is their personality and, and their uh style, but they've taken what is a very simple task and they've They've, uh, they've spread that out amongst the team. So people like PewDiePie or people who are also relatively successful in doing that kind of thing, they have someone else who edits their videos for them or they have mm-hmm. someone else who would provide music for them or, or, or whatever it is. They have a team of people... Um, Behind them, and so that's when you look at the people who are genuinely trying to do new or bold or or creative things, and you can fully understand why they struggle, because it's 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 in everything. It's investment and returns. Um, You know, if you're not talking about money, it's like, well, this is a guy who can sit down and for three consecutive days and play one hour of video game and give us months worth of content. Or we've got this guy who can spend two weeks uh, crafting a piece of music. Or we've got this guy over here who could spend a month creating three minutes of beautiful uh, animation. But that video is going to come out in three months. And then the next one's not going to come out for three months. But that dude over there is putting out a video every day that people are watching. You know, it's it's the 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 stuff that is takes the less effort, uh, the least effort is often what what's working, and so every creative person has to strike a balance. And I feel we've gotten very off topic. Uh, yeah, very um, off topic. And I
0: was going to mention
1: that when you finish your role. Sure. I, I yeah. Have to, I have to. I have to say, Scott, just very briefly, it's been an education, and it's been fantastic to listen to some of your points tonight. And actually, I ended up writing a very brief sort of short film documentary idea a couple of years ago about the album journey the art of the album you know the journey of the album so mm. it's uh it's been quite refreshing actually to hear someone talk about those topics tonight um you know to hear about the idea of an album taking you on a journey it's something i've always been very fond of uh oh, these totally, days yeah yeah
3: yeah well no i it's 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 one of those things i you know i i can talk for my country professionally <laughs> <No>. <laughs> as I'm sure you've all come to learn um and you know music is a particular passion, so mm-hmm. marry those two things together and woe betide you i think sure uh, sure but uh what I was gonna say to try to try and steer us back mm. was we were talking about how sort of technology has uh Kind of democratized uh music and and there are more people uh and filmmaking and and a great many other uh formerly more elusive skills yes. um and I think one of the thing is this that has become uh a detriment for a couple of reasons, but it has forced innovation as well and mm-hmm. uh I think the problem is that so many people are working with the same tools. Mm -hmm. You know, you you look at something that if you're not creating music, you might not be aware of, but there are countless thousands of companies that make samples that are used by uh, music producers. Yeah. Um, you look at people like Cine Samples, or you look at people like uh, Spitfire Audio who are doing really interesting, innovative things to come up with a a library of sounds that you can get your hands on and, and, and sculpt your own sonic worlds. But the problem with doing that is that everyone can buy those. Everyone can get those their hands on those sounds.
0: This is true, and I've, I've fallen down that trap before doing those things when I had to, but... It's what you do with those things is still, like you say, they're given such
3: richer tools to people, but they aren't unique. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And, and so it, it becomes even more difficult yet again to try and do something that perhaps from a non-musical perspective, from a sound perspective, sounds unique, um, which is why I love that people like, um, like we, I'm going to butcher this name awfully, I'm sure. But uh, we, we've, we've seen people like uh, Hildur uh, Gottenadir, the Icelandic composer who uh, just did a Joker and, uh, and uh, the Chernobyl series, which the Chernobyl series, outstanding piece of uh, visual storytelling and the, the, the music mm-hmm. and the sound mm-hmm. design uh, amongst that are part and parcel of what a Potentially, in my mind, some of the best marrying of audio and visual together. Uh, But you've got people like her who are going out of their way to do things that other people aren't doing. She's not just using, you know, 10 different sample libraries by Spitfire. She's going out and she's recording her own sounds and she's finding her own footing. And I, I, I can't stress enough how important that is because... So many people in film scoring have, have looked at Hans Zimmer and seen Hans Zimmer's success and have gone, right, that is what I'm going to do. <laughs> and they've picked the totally wrong thing about Hans Zimmer to emulate. Mm-hmm. What they've decided to do is, I want to write music that sounds like Hans Zimmer, so they've all gone... <laughs> But no, that's not what Hans Zimmer does. Hans Zimmer is a very innovative composer who's constantly finding new things to record or collaborating with new people. You look at stuff like uh, Inception. Inception uh, is a brilliant film score, and everyone bangs on about how it's single-handedly invented the cinematic boom sound. But in the context of that movie, that boom sound has a really important thing. Yeah. it is a generator slowed down and then reorchestrated and played live by players it is an intrinsic storytelling device you look at what he was doing with uh, the sherlock holmes movie uh, which on paper is pure madness. You go, all right, well, I have this uh, this British story, this British movie that's a telling of a British story with a primarily British cast made by a British film director. And so uh, Hans Zimmer, this German composer, is going to score it with, uh, he's going to score it with Hungarian zither and Romanian gypsy music. And he's going to reach all over the world and put this collection of sounds together that's got nothing to do with this what we would traditionally think of being associated with Sherlock Holmes. You go, what the hell are you thinking? But my God, it works in that movie. <laughs> and that's, that mm-hmm. is the the point I'm trying to make. Hans Zimmer is one of these innovators that, that does wonderful things, but people are emulating the the most obvious stuff. And that's, that's wrong. You know, the you think is, about the Dark Knight movies and think about how many movies that came out since then that just sound like the Dark Knight movies. But the yes. thing is,
0: it's much like what we were talking about earlier about you having to pick which song you're going to pitch for selling your album. At the end of the day, with the people that are pitching about nothing but sales, that is what they attach to. And what I think is really funny is the best way to spot the trend, whatever the trend is, is film trailers. Um, if you look at film trailers, you can identify very, if you know enough of them, you can identify very quickly the year or the at least time period that came out. The 90s was very about bringing in a lot of modern music and a lot of alternate music as opposed to film scores. You look at things like the Matrix trailer um, is, you know, scored by the Crystal Method. And then it's got, you know, a sampling from Enigma on there and more human than human was used in like, I don't know, a thousand trailers. But then you look at as time goes on and like the era we're in right this minute is so fucking lame. I'm so sick to the back teeth. It's it's needle drops. Uh, Well, hold on. The last, we had the period of Bois. The Bois was there for a while, but that's gone mm-hmm. now. And once replaced, The well, the Bois is still there at the beginning of trailers. But the end of the trailer, the last 30 seconds, the, the moment that's meant to really draw you into the movie, nowadays is always the same. Soft, plinky piano with a popular pop song from the past, reorchestrated and sung really depressingly. And you see it yeah, on like yeah, the yeah. X-Men trailer and you saw it on like Mad Max did one. And well, I think you just, probably uh, think, uh,
3: Sucker Punch for that. that sucker Punch, think what you will about Sucker Punch. The music in Sucker Punch is really good. But I think that's probably single-handedly people went, well, this movie sucks, but the music's quite good. Let's just do that forever.
0: Yeah. Plus, and, it know, was the style over substance with Sucker Punch. I think fits trailers. Oh, totally. The movie's one totally. big fucking
3: trailer, really. Well, exactly, exactly. And and this is the the thing with uh, you could argue the same thing with like Tron Legacy is just one big music video, but it's a hell of a music video, and it's a great fucking score. I gotta say, exactly. Tron it's, a, it's a wonderful, it's a wonderful score. Um, and and it's because of that score that uh, the score to Oblivion exists that we mentioned mm-hmm, earlier because. Mm-hmm. Uh, That was, they were both, uh, it was, uh, what's his name? Joseph Kaczynski, Mm -hmm. the director. Yeah, 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 Joseph Kaczynski. Well, the reason I got confused is because the the composer I'm about to mention is a guy called Joseph Trapanese. And I'm like, they they can't both be Joseph.
0: Ah, Trapanese, who did some work
3: on things like The Raid and stuff. So yeah, Joseph Trapanese is the sort of the guy behind Daft Punk Yeah, uh, on the Tron Legacy score. And in this much the same way, he's the guy behind um, Anthony Gonzalez on the, uh, the uh, Oblivion score. Yeah, the guy um, behind but, Mike Shinoda on The Raid, yeah. Right, exactly. Um, I, I, and that's, I'm sure there was a point to this. <laughs> What's his job? He makes other people look good. <laughs> Well, you know, he's 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 a very talented orchestrator and composer in his own right, but Tron Legacy set a trend. And someone went, oh yeah, this popular French electronic artist or this popular French uh, electronic act have scored this sci-fi movie with some orchestral stuff mixed in. Okay, what we're going to do, we're making another big sci-fi movie. Um, we want another uh, French electronic artist and some electronic stuff. Let that M83 dude, let, get that M83 dude in there. He, he'll do it, you know. Um, but it is one of those things that makes you, I, I, well, me personally, as a composer and a music fan and a movie lover, think, ooh, who else would I like to see score a movie? That hasn't, you know, that doesn't normally do so. That's that is an interesting, interesting way to look at things. Or
2: who else could maybe evolve the music industry? It is interesting to. Well, I tell you, that.
0: one one artist I'm just going to briefly mention because I always try to bring it up whenever I can. Uh, one artist I follow greatly, who I'm a massive fan of, is uh, the guitarist Buckethead, who's released over 300 personal is albums. She tired, though? He's not retired. He's still producing. Yes. He is. He's not disappeared. Uh, he's dis disappeared in the Netherworld. He has not disappeared. He's still releasing music. He's just not touring anymore because he's dying. Because he's got that uh, heart condition and stuff. Um, don't ruin my dreams, Wayne. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> he did actually work on the score of Ghost of Mars with um uh, uh John Joe Carpenter. Fulton, and obviously he was also he did some work with Michael Kamen. On the score for Last Action Hero in the 90s And he had a song on like the Power um, Power Rangers movie But he actually did actually a full score For Flesh of the Beast A low budget horror movie in 2004 That was really decent But different and weird Very fucking weird mm. Very, very buckethead in that sense And I can't even imagine if you said Hey man, here's a movie Free reign, do what you want with it what kind of fucking lunacy the guy would come up with. Because as, yeah. talented, as talented of an artist as he is, you can tell when he releases like the commercial stuff versus here's what I'm into is just shards of noise and random bullshit. Totally. And and it would be so fascinating if he was off the chain to do that for a movie because he's obviously a huge movie fan.
3: You see, I think it's sad that there's not a, a lot more stuff of that ilk. Um, you guys... Uh, you probably are aware of it from the movie side of things, but maybe not necessarily from the music side of things, but for the last maybe mm, seven, eight years, we've been in the middle of a, uh, we've been in an analog Renaissance where suddenly all of these companies are releasing analog synthesizers or analog uh, guitar effects and getting back to sort of older technology, but, reinterpreted and and, and done in, in new ways. The the synth that I mentioned I was reviewing uh, today um, is, was like one of the first of those. It came out uh, like seven or eight years ago, and uh, it was an analog synth. No one's really made, like, on a big way, analog synths since the 80s. But what's kind of frustrating with it is that the reason these synthesizers came back and the reason these things came back was because we suddenly realized we weren't done with them. We hadn't plumbed the depths of that technology. But then what did everyone do when they came? And you know, I'm guilty of this myself. I'm as much of a, a lover of the 80s style as everyone else is. But everyone took this old fashioned style gear and started just making 80s music again. And, yeah, you know, there's a lot to be said about that. But, you know, as I sit here in my studio, I'm looking at my modular synthesizer, which is capable of very John Carpenter-esque baselines or, or sequences and stuff. But it's also very, very capable of all kinds of mad fuckery. And that's what we should be dealing with. That's what I think, personally, we should be dealing with. We've got all of this new versions of old technology that we can really get hands-on with and... and sculpt our, our own sonic landscapes with we shouldn't necessarily be using it to just bring back the past
0: something we've been touching on this episode a lot on accident tangent wise is commercial via you know versus originality and nostalgia as we mentioned earlier plays a huge part in that i think it's only oh, com- totally. you know totally makes sense to me that if analog comes back so does the sound of that era Because it's so closely associated And then that nostalgia powers it forward And then everyone goes Oh shit, that was popular again Well, I better fucking hop on that bandwagon And we have this trend of bandwagons And going as filmmakers drag. Sorry, but I was just going to say As filmmakers, we see that with like Zombie movies Zombie yeah. movies are out, then they're in Then they're out, then they're in Vampires yeah. are the same, werewolves are the same And you're just looking for the trend And there's a whole well, through yeah. at
2: once it goes back. The gimmick, the niche, the trend, that's what it keeps I, I I s- it. I think
3: sci-fi is exactly the same. I, I, if, Everything you, is. you've said that, I, I can sort of think, hang on, you know, we a couple of years ago, we had things like Inception and uh, Interstellar and um, Ender's Game and and the Tron movies and Oblivion, all fairly back we, to back. Yeah, we we went through a big like people went you know big Star Wars movie, a big uh, sci-fi movies, and then of course the stop. Maybe Star Wars killed it. Maybe I think Star Wars a,
0: did kill it in honesty. Yeah,
3: and we got you know we got those Star Trek movies as well, and the the resurgence of that, and they they they're sort of on the on the the down uh, slope now, and I'm sure in a couple of years they'll come back again, and hopefully we'll get some good ones.
2: You know, I think this is the perfect time to end the show. Now you've just said Star Wars killed it. I think Star Wars has killed this show now.
3: (laughs) Get your ass to Mars. Get your ass to Mars. Oh, that was good. I like that. (laughs) Thank you very much.
0: (laughs) He's going good. He he drives the car with the baby. He's good. Rubby baby buggy bumpers over here. Anyway, yeah, I think that was a great place to go. <laughs> Scott, <laughs> before we go, you got to drop some links. And what I'm going to do, if it's cool with you, bro, is after we've ended the show, I'm actually going to play it out with your uh, babysitter song. Oh, yeah, man, that's fine by me. Fantastic. <laughs> so we'll actually end it actually ended out on a musical note, which would be pretty exciting. Uh, before that, drop some links to the people. Explain where they can listen to your shit. Explain where they can buy your stuff and feed you. man needs to eat a fucking sandwich buy an album buy a sandwich that's what we're calling it it is worth listening
3: to well thank you very much Uh, yeah I mean the majority of my stuff is available at uh, scottampleford.bandcamp.com I also have a YouTube channel but Scott Ampleford is a very very uh, uncommon name so if you google me you will find me uh, I think the only professional Scott before that's out there is a lawyer. So if you've Google my name and you find a lawyer, that ain't the one. But he
0: is good to go to for legal advice. I'd like this yeah. Scott. Stop asking him what to do when you smack your wife or something.
3: I, he I don't have no know. Idea. <laughs> I'm sorry, guys. I, I cannot help you.
0: <laughs> and you
2: kind of uh, get you out
0: when you've you know when you've shot somebody, just leave it. Just yeah. Hi. Just, just put the put the gun down and then call the other Scott. Guess yeah. what I'll just play you a snazzy tune on your way to the cells. Yeah, <laughs> exactly In fact, if you if you join,
2: if you if you if you go to the link for this, we'll I'm sure we'll have links to Scott to help you, just to you know politely guide you.
4: Yeah, but oh, it's always it's nice, it's
0: nice when people plugin. can still, you know, plug themselves. I think everyone should be plugging all day long, hard, fast, plugging. Oh yeah. You can also check out my website, Scottampleford.com. <laughs> no, uh, that's too much.
3: You've fucked enough, you shut you
0: up!
3: Send me, uh, <laughs> like, an email or something if you want some music for your shit. Yeah, give me some work. God yeah, damn it. he he works for his money. Get him some
0: money with work. <laughs> One last question before we do end. Madden, are you alive? I am. Ah <laughs> I hadn't heard that voice for so long. I thought he died. He's he's That's probably good, busy yeah. working on journalistic integrity on his website, WayneGmadden.com, where you can find all kinds of fantastic essays, sorry. articles, and links to all kinds of work that he's performed in the past.
3: I'm sorry, I know you said Wayne G Madden, but I just heard wingy Madden.
0: <laughs> Do you know what?
1: I actually of uh <laughs> Wayne well, I mean, G I mean in that- Madden. Excellent. Thank yes. you for the correction. Because, Thank you. Because yeah. if you'd not corrected that, I would have been going to Scott Ampulford for legal advice, but obviously <laughs> not to Scott
4: <laughs> <legal> <laughs>
0: But which one Anyway guys I've had a great time With y'all If everyone listening Would like to get in touch With us You can always do so At moviemadness At deadrealfilms.com If you want to Shoot us an email Or you can actually Jump on the website At deadrealfilms.com Forward slash Movie Madness And comment away And we're all there So we can all talk Shit back at you Uh, Wayne Do you have anything Else to say Before you go man Which one You I refer to him As Madden Me As always Catch you on the next episode Cool. Well, I will catch all y'all in the next episode. In the meantime, everybody, have a great night and enjoy listening to some fantastic music here from award-winning composer, Scott Ambleford. Good night, everybody. Good night. Cheers.
4: Cheers.
3: The song Something In Your House from my latest soundtrack album The Babysitter for the film The Babysitter. It's out now on Bandcamp and also streaming uh, via all major streaming services. Thank you for watching.